Vanessa Marceau is such a light in this community. She has been an activist for years and she had headed up the Allura, heads up the Allura Wellness Center. And she will be talking about that as well as her history with veganism. And she is so fortunate I'm just to, she, she's spreading the word all over the world. She traveled last year and she's uh, based in Egypt and California. And she's gonna talk more about that as well. And for someone with her background as an, an actress and a speaker and an activist and a business owner, an entrepreneur, she brings wisdom and light and joy and a lot of passion to everything that she does. So I'll just leave it up to her now to give us a further introduction. And I guess where I want to start is tell me how you got started with the vegan world. All right. Well, thank you so much, Donna, for inviting me and Judy for having me on. What a thrill to be here. I just got back a week ago from Egypt, so I'm definitely thrilled to talk about that. But in terms of veganism, I think that I was born with some sort of taste aversion. I don't know if it was psychological right away. I always loved animals and I can't say that cognitively I made the connection as a young child, but meals were torture for me because my parents wouldn't let me get up from table until I had finished my food. Now, if it were pasta or something like that, I no problem, but they put the, these dead animals in front of me and I absolutely wouldn't eat it. And so it was a constant struggle. And that was really, I'm, I'm, I love all animals. I'm a non-speciesist, but I do have to say I'm more of a cat person than a dog person, except during my childhood when I wished we had a dog because the cat just wouldn't eat my food fast enough. I'd be like giving my dead animal to the cat. Like, Hurry, don't chew it. Swallow. They're coming back into the room. The dog would have gulped it down right away. So that was the oh one time I wish we'd had a dog. But uh, basically, after struggling constantly with meals, when I was 12, I finally, my mother said that I said no more and that I absolutely straight up refused and she no longer tried to force me to eat animals. So I was from a young age, for some reason, whatever my chemistry, makeup, psychology, I don't know. I'm a psychotherapist. I've tried to figure it out. I can't <laughs> say as a child. But um, so I became, I would say, a vegetarian from a pretty young age. I didn't know about the ethics. I never liked eggs, butter, and milk. So I think that was part of the taste aversion. But I did have ice cream. Um, and I would say that it was kind of um, off and on from college, I was vegan without ever knowing what it really meant. And it's when I saw videos of baby male chicks getting ground alive. And also, I don't know which was first that or the images of cows getting basically raped and um, having their children stolen from them and being hooked up to machines with these udders that I remember whatever video it was, I said, that's it. No taste bud is worth causing suffering to another being. There's absolutely nothing worth it to me. And so I just, I, when I saw that, I instantly committed to being vegan, went to my fridge. There was fortunately nothing I needed to get rid of. So I was happy about that. And since then, I've just, it's been my 
mission at this point to uh, spread the word about saving our animal friends, which also saves our health and the environment, and uh, spreading the word whenever I can. And I think it's so easy these days and so much fun to experiment with all the wonderful options we have out there, the thousands, if not millions of spices and herbs and different fruits and vegetables I encounter when traveling. So it's just been a source of joy to me to be on this mission. So you've been traveling lately. Can you speak to what your experiences have been like finding vegan food, promoting vegan living uh, in Egypt and the other places that you've traveled? Oh, and I also didn't mention that you're also an amazing pole dancer and uh and you know just and and as you're as you're uh answering these questions if you can also keep in the back of your mind like so you have all of these amazing skills and talents like where does the veganism cross over where is it a conflict you know how have you approached it through the, the acting and traveling and psychotherapy like just give us a rich understanding of all of the the weaving of your worlds uh, that have happened. Okay. Yes. I, I love I love the way you think and, and how you're texturing it so so richly. Thank you for that. Uh, so basically I had to close down the storefront of my vegan organic wellness center, Alora Wellness, um, I guess few years ago, I was going to say last year, nope, a uh, few years ago in 2020, uh, due to COVID, when we could no longer keep uh, small businesses open and I could no longer maintain this building with all that I had going in it with a dance center and healing arts, um, wellness center and uh, cafe. So I decided after closing, after a few weeks of crying and devastation and heartbreak that my dream had just of many years that I'd finally attained had uh, just been shut down. I suddenly realized, well, this isn't the end. This is actually the next step of where I wanted to go, which is to have it be global and to have intentional communities. My ultimate goal is basically to have a large piece of land where we can have um, we can grow all our own to be completely self-sufficient. And I'll talk more later about the permaculture retreat I went on where I had to design a whole system, which I did. And uh, also have an area for rescue animals so that we can, whatever area we're in, go to any pounds or shelters and take all the animals that would normally otherwise be killed and have round the clock vet students. That was my dream, uh, watching and taking care of them. So I decided I can start traveling and see where is another option where I can open and maybe some other place I want to live because I thought at this point I want to move on from Los Angeles. It's been great and I'm from here, but I want to live somewhere else. And uh, I was, I'm half French, half Egyptian, and France is always called to me, never really thought of living in Egypt, but I decided to start traveling. I couldn't get into France. It was very hard for, I, I'm a French citizen, but for People coming from America at the time, it was very hard to get in because of COVID. So I decided I'm going to go to Africa because I can get in. <laughs> so I started traveling around. I started in Morocco. And I, to, to speak to your point of interweaving some of the aspects, I, I definitely use psychotherapy when I approach talking about veganism with other cultures, <laughs> because there is so much, uh, even though I'm half Egyptian, I obviously look like a white Westerner and I want to be very careful of not being patronizing or I'm telling you what to do or I know better type of attitude, yeah. especially different 
culture. I, um, I actually am, I grew up in a fairly secular household, but um, I have an awareness of Islam because that's my mother's origin, even though she wasn't practicing. And my father, French Catholic, actually converted to Islam to marry her so the marriage would be legal in Egypt. So, uh, but uh, we did not grow up with any kind of religion, but I have a cultural and historical awareness. And so I wanted to be mindful. And I found that when I talk to people about my passionate belief in the connectedness of all beings and how much I love animals, and it makes me sad when they suffer, that I feel pain when I see them in situations that are against their will, where they're tied up and they are held hostage and they are tortured and killed. And when I would speak of this to people, no one ever... Uh, argued with me. They all would just see that and they would say, I really see how passionate you are about animals and how much you care. And that seems like such a great thing. Um, and they would all say to me that I'm going to go to heaven because I treat animals well. <laughs> Why not have heaven here, right here? Why do we have to wait for some uh, theoretical other place? If you think that's a good thing to treat animals that way, you can do that too. Why not? And they would start saying, well, I, I do want to cut down on eating animals and how can I prepare things? And then I would give them all kinds of ideas. And in, in so many cuisines, there are already so many vegan options. So Morocco, you have tagines and couscouses and all kinds of things that are vegan. So I, I found a lot of uh, receptivity. I had some arguments about the Quran in many countries where some people would say, well, God says to do this. And I would always say, um, isn't the point of religion to be kind and compassionate? And they would all say, yes. Is it kind and compassionate to, uh, or I would ask them if they thought animals felt pain and had spirits and souls and they'd say, yes. Is it compassionate to hurt animals? No. Well, then wouldn't it be even more compassionate not to hurt animals if we don't have to? Let's say God was meeting you where you were at the beginning when the, he supposedly wrote the Quran. I wouldn't say supposedly, but wrote the Quran. <laughs> Um, and isn't it true that we can make different choices now because we have free will and it's been more time so we have more options and nobody argued with me they all kind of would listen and say oh you know I can't argue that that's a good point so I kind of approached any discussions with people from a very personal perspective but also philosophical so there wasn't any uh, heat or animosity in our discussions, they were actually ones where we felt closer afterwards and, and more aware of each other's perspectives. And so in any case, I'm traveling throughout Morocco. There's no pole dancing there, so didn't do any of that. Um, Jordan, where uh, I met a woman who that my friend Paige, whom Donna knows, introduced me to, who has a vegan restaurant. And we only one in Jordan. We traveled around Jordan together and she said, you know, you should think about going to Egypt. There's a lot of vegan activity there if you're thinking of a place to open. So I hadn't been thinking of going to Egypt, but I thought, okay, let me go. So I went to Egypt and in a town on the Red Sea, which is a few hours south of Cairo, I found a pole dance studio. And there are a bunch in Cairo, but not a lot in Egypt. And everything is an opportunity to speak about veganism. Every chance you get like strength and how do you maintain this pace? And it, it just lends itself so easily. And so I also would tell everyone, well, I'm here because I'm looking for a place to open my vegan center. I 
happened to tell the owner of this pole studio that, and she said, I'm vegan. And then she said, would you like to teach pole dancing here and collaborate on vegan activities? And I thought for a second, well, if the universe is dropping something in my lap, who am I to say no? I immediately said, okay. So uh, I agreed to come back. I had some more traveling to do. And then I went back a few months later. I I went to um, Dubai, Rwanda, Zanzibar, and then back to LA, Uh, no, Costa Rica for a permaculture retreat, back to LA, Peru, Ecuador for the Amazonian Fruit Festival, and then back to (laughs) Egypt. Did a few festivals there with her, collaborated with her, and um, met at the last festival I just did, which was on May 29th, I met these vegan, not vegan, but chefs who were making vegan food who were interested in expanding. And we talked about opening a vegan restaurant together and doing some vegan cooking shows. And several of the vendors at the event expressed an interest in having a regular kind of farmer's market where we would have fruits and vegetables and also prepared foods and arts and crafts and doing it on a more regular basis. So I just thought, wow, here in in Egypt, we could be having a farmer's vegan farmer's market and a vegan restaurant. This would be amazing. And so I'm going to be pursuing that. I'm going to be going back in a few months and keep going with that. So it's all been really fun and really exciting and creating communities. You see all these people come out saying, gosh, I've been wanting something like this. I'm so glad you're doing this event. And there's nothing more gratifying than that and having a forum where people can meet, get to know each other and feel like they have have support. So that's been very, very exciting. I hope that began to answer your multidimensional <laughs> question. Yes. <laughs> it was it was a perfect a perfect weaving in and out of that. And I would love to also know, tell me some of your most thrilling high points and some of your challenges because as we know, especially these times the last few years, it's it's a different world. So um, can you just speak to any of the challenges and or excitement, uh, probably funny, maybe, maybe even a funny story that's come your way? Yeah, sure. Let me talk about the challenges first, because then I can go to the more fun stuff after. Um, some of the challenges are, uh, I would say that there is so much normalized violence and you see it so it, it's just right out there in in the middle east and african countries they don't hide it behind walls and i can't say which is better or worse torturing and killing animals is torturing and killing animals whether it's in the open or behind your ag gag walls it doesn't matter it's still torture but it's just much more overt overt there so you walk down any street and you can see a bunch of chickens in cages crammed in together and the stench you smell uh, blocks away and you might see them grab one by the neck and that's the one that's going to have uh, her throat slit and um so you see that in the farmers markets you see that on the street uh during aid which was a muslim festival and i was there for that uh, I would see sheep and lambs and goats um, with their four limbs tied up in, in a car being carried that way, which would just break my heart every time. Um, anytime you go to the farmer's market to get fruits and vegetables, you do see the cages. And I have filmed 
I've asked to film uh, to be able to post and show people what's going on. And so I have gone behind the counter and filmed them slitting a bunny's throat, um, slitting chicken's throats and watching them bleed out. And they are absolutely horrendous. And anyone who thinks that they're done humanely, kindly with some religious, whatever law, it, it, that's not the case. I can tell you from personal experience, having witnessed and filmed a bunch, it's not that's not how it's happening. And these animals had no choice in the matter. So that was incredibly challenging uh, for me to just deal with on a personal daily, not necessarily daily, but at least weekly level. And before I did one of my festivals, I encountered a friend in my apartment building who was vegan. And she had some friends of hers with her, a bunch of guys. And once they saw me, oh, you're the one doing the vegan festival. So immediately you have target over your head for, okay, what's coming now? And some of them had, you know, rational points they wanted to make. And then they would say, oh, you know, it's better for sex to have animal products. And I said, well, actually it clogs your arteries and makes you have a much higher chance of erectile dysfunction. So you're going to talk about that with me. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So, um, Another one was saying stuff about the Quran, and I said, remind me of that passage in the Quran that tells you to get drunk and get high. Just just wondering, you know, um, you know, having fun with them. He said none of the arguments are working, and, and I'm joking and laughing with them because I'm not going to get all uptight and worked up because that serves no purpose in my opinion. But one of the guys at one point kind of, I guess, you know, when things get under somebody's skin, at least me as a psychotherapist, I sit there and, and analyze going, I'm wondering if it got under his skin. He saw that none of the tactics was working and that there was no kind of breaking my argument chain that everything they would say, I would have a response. So I'm just guessing that this is part of his own defense mechanism. But he's just started saying, I'm going to bring a sheep tomorrow right in front of your door and slaughter it right in front of you. I had to breathe for a moment because I had a reaction of, you know, expletives and um, just the nature of somebody who would say that to somebody who clearly is passionate about animals. And um, I didn't I didn't want to get to his level of response, but I just said, I don't surround myself with people who behave without compassion. And if you think that's funny or you think that is an appropriate thing to say to me, that's not somebody I'm going to have in my um, circle because I, I have people who are respectful of my views and I'm respectful of theirs. And um, it, you, you may think that's a joke, but to me, it sounds cruel and disregarding my belief system. And of course, there was the whole, oh, just take a joke. A joke is not a defense against saying something unkind. Um, after that, I think all the, his, he, he sort of didn't really say much, but his friends apologized to me. And my friend, who's their friend, was like, I'm so sorry, this has never happened before. They've never been like this. And I was like, you know, I appreciate that. Um, but th th those are some of the challenges that I've had, which are things that I might expect. Um, some of the, the high points um, are that... You never know when you're talking and speaking and spreading the word who is going to be influenced and who's going to have some kind of um, revelation. But something that to me, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily funny. <laughs> I laugh because it makes me happy. But I had my vegan festival there and I had some pole dance friends show up. 
one of them's not a vegan and I've been talking to her a little like while teaching her in class, I kind of tell her things about muscle recovery and, you know, animal products and veganism and whatever. And she's become very interested. And um, I had told her I was going to be making lentil caramel brownies for the event. And that sounded very strange. How do you have lentils in the <laughs> dessert? This sounds odd. And I had told a few other people as well who all thought very strange. So I made my brownies and they're very rich. They're very, very dense, very heavy, um, like very, very chocolatey and oil free and flaxseed and oats and just super healthy. Anyway, I didn't remind them that these are my lentil caramel brownies. And I was giving them little samples to people, some vendors who were skeptical and my friend and, and this chef. And they were all like, oh my God, this is the best brownie ever. And I said, these are my lentil caramel brownies. And they were all like, no way, no, how can this have lentils in it? There's no possible way. Just so excited that I started filming the, their testimonials. I filmed them all, <laughs> just uh, put, posted them on Facebook because they were so much fun. And the chef, who is an internationally trained chef, studied in Geneva and in, throughout Germany and America and whatever, he was like, I need your recipe. I need to make this. <laughs> I was like, awesome. It's just so much fun when you can surprise people and they can think, wow, I can have a dessert that is so rich and there's no cream, no butter, no eggs, no animal products. And they were all so clearly astonished by the brownies that I just think I'm going to convert people through my brownies. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you accumulated a lot of brownie points there. I did. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> It's been a lot of fun. I've had a I've had a great time. I think you have to keep your sense of humor because there are times when you just want to cry, which is fine too. I let myself feel whatever, and I meditate regularly. But a sense of humor is key, especially when dealing with with um, foreign cultures and mores and all that. Jump in. I I'll tell you a yep. little bit about my permaculture retreat in yes. Costa Rica. Um, I had a lot of people there. It was supposed to be a vegan. I thought they said a plant based residency and I get there and I hear people talking about wanting to learn to hunt and live off the land and I'm like oh my god what have I gotten myself into <laughs> yes they're, they're also serving honey eggs and milk and I thought oh my god and I was just not happy about it and I spoke to the management and I spoke to the kitchen and they, I wanted to leave quite frankly um, but I decided to stay to learn what I could and see what influence I could have and so I, um, and the retreat had people from all over the world. So it was definitely a multicultural thing and it had aerial arts and flow arts and the permaculture course. So it was a very eclectic kind of program and in the program for the, um, and they made me vegan food all at every meal. I had my own separate kind of things. Um, during the course, the teacher was definitely not vegetarian or vegan. And at one point she even said, you know, when you're setting this up, you need animals because you have to have redundancy of function. And if there's a famine or your crops aren't producing or you run out of food, you're not going to be so vegetarian at that point. And so I said to her, well, so after you've eaten your animals, then what? then what's your redundancy of function? How do you keep going? And she was like, well, hopefully... Things would change at that point. And I was like, so, uh, and you also had people saying, well, maybe it's more sustainable to just get animal fat from the farm next door rather than import cashews from California thousands of miles away and fossil fuels and blah, blah, blah. So 
uh, what I did for my final presentation for my permaculture presentation is I talked about the difference between methane and carbon monoxide in terms of climate change and also the water usage of getting fat and milk and other things from animals versus even almonds, which is the maligned crop that supposedly uses so much water, uses 184 liters of water to produce a liter of almond milk. But for dairy milk, it, you need about 800. So there isn't any conversation there. If you really want to be low water, go with soy milk, which takes about 28 liters. So I had all these numbers on the wall, on the board about, you know, an entire class of people not vegan at all. Um, all these numbers and statistics about water use and climate stuff and why vegan permaculture piece of, you know, project in Egypt of all places. And uh, so I did my presentation, came in with my partner, dancing to ancient Egyptian music, pretended we were time travelers coming from ancient Egypt to the present to teach them about permaculture <laughs> and uh, what we were going to do in this piece of land, help them out. And we're dancing and offering chocolate date balls to everybody. Everyone at this point is like screaming and yelling and just having a great time. And when I do my presentation and I talk about how we can grow everything that we need, everything. We can use organic cotton for textiles and fabrics and hemp can be building materials and, you know, not only the ropes that we think of, but you can make bricks out of it and support structures and walls and, you know, so many different things. And, and it's actually very easy to grow things in the desert because they don't have parasite and fungus issues. It's, it's, if you can get enough water, that's kind of your only real huge consideration. But I showed all the different fruits and vegetables and beans and everything we could grow. At the end of my presentation, the guy, I had a bunch of people coming up to me saying, oh my God, I want to do something like this. This is so inspiring. You have to let us know how it's going. The teacher said, keep us up to date, all this stuff. The guy I had sort of not necessarily avoided because I did become friends with him, but he was the one who was talking about fishing and hunting. He came up to me. He said, I want to go vegan. I want your help. And I was like, oh. Like, there's nothing better yeah. here than something like this, you know. Eureka. Eureka, you know. And he yeah. told me his grandmother, he's Mexican, lives in, in a small town in Mexico. And he says, grandmother, he thinks, is basically vegan. She never eats animal products. And he's like, I want to do that, too. And the vegan cheeses we made here and this and that were so amazing that I want to do this. So just keep talking, keep spreading the word my way is doing it happily, joyfully, and showing my excitement about things. There is no right way or we'd all be doing it and everyone would already be vegan. But um, I think that you just have to speak up. You have to speak because you never know who's in the listening. You never know who might get an idea. Maybe not today, tomorrow. They may never. They may talk to somebody who might. You just never know. And it's just so rewarding seeing people's reactions, especially when you do it w with a loving attitude. And I think that is probably key for me. My it, Mine is always like, welcome to the table. Taste the food. I want you to get excited about being in the kitchen and keeping it really positive and upbeat. And there are times that I'm really like, really wanting to like shake somebody up and, you know, all that. So I just really want to, first of all, honor you for the way that you do present the information and Judy as well. She's amazing that way. And I also want to like, are there times that this other person, like other ego wants to kind of come out of the, of the uh, closet and start like raging? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I and I want to applaud you, Donna, because I, you know, through the years I've known you, you've always been so rational and calm and gentle. <laughs> and that energy I think is very welcoming to people. So I do think it's more effective. There's a place for everything, I believe, but I think I do tend to think that our approaches uh, to me resonate more with people. But um, I was a debater in high school and there's and college, and there's nothing more than I like than a good argument. <laughs> I can get really passionate and really excited and carried away. And then um, I can start seeing the other person just as opponent, <laughs> different viewpoint, you know, where I will forget about that, you know, need for human civilizing kind of uh, uh, tempering of arguments. And so I, there have been times when I have gotten so worked up that I think I was acting more as a bulldozer than as a, you know, other person. And I've had my buttons pushed. Um, I think I'm much better now than earlier on when I was more, I would say, zealous, um, where I, I would get triggered, where people would say, make stupid jokes that you hear a hundred thousand times and you're just so tired of it. Like, hey, how about some meat? And I would say, hey, how about a heart attack? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just realized that even when people are making these, what I think of as really um pointless or silly comments, they're still trying to connect in some way. They may be doing it unskillfully and coming from a confused place where they may not even know where they're standing, but they're still trying to interact. And the minute somebody's interacting now, I welcome that because they're at least still engaged in some way in the conversation. And so I applaud that. And so I'm not going to, my goal is to never dismiss, mock, or in any way put somebody down, even if they're saying something I think is stupid. Because we, I said stupid things like afterwards where I was like, oh my God, and my brain just taking a vacation. I wanna have empathy for people. I say dumb things, I say forgetful things, I say clueless, whatever things. So I wanna be empathic with those when they're in those places and saying those things and not shut the dialogue down, but instead um, engage them in a way where I can maybe change the conversation so that it can be perhaps a little more proactive and uh, more engaged, at least on my part, and um, and switch the dynamic so that it's not an adversarial one. Because if you can get somebody to see your perspective, even if they don't agree with it, at least you know you've, you've succeeded in terms of clear communication. And that's really a bonus for me. So those times, that I feel like biting somebody's head off. I just breathe deeply, give myself space to calm down, notice my racing heart rate or burning cheeks and just keep on breathing through that until (laughs) I feel calm enough to respond in a way that I'm not gonna be um, ashamed of because basically I want to always be somebody I can respect and I don't wanna ever say something where I'm gonna think, oh, I showed them, but I don't really have a good opinion of how I behaved or my integrity. So that's what keeps my mouth sometimes from mouthing off. And and right now we do have an activist support group that meets once a month on Zoom. So for anybody out there who is an activist who has some of these issues, there is, there is support out there because being an activist is is a wonderful job because you're speaking to things that you're passionate about and it's also very challenging we do have support out there people 
Do you work with Lisa Levinson? Yeah. So I, I haven't gone for the last few months, but it's been really wonderful because people bring, you know, current issues that they're dealing with if they're running a nonprofit or if they've had some interaction with their family and you bring it to the, you bring it to the hive, you know, you bring it to the, the people that have been had, have had experience and that collective wisdom gets shared mm. and it's, it's very positive. Wow. And we, we have VegNet Bend here in Bend, which is a wonderful nonprofit organization that uh, we're getting to be social again, which is so exciting. So is there, so I think the last time I saw you, I think was at the Natural Product Expo West. Have you been to an Expo West since then? And or are there favorite new products that have come out that you think you want to represent or have in Egypt? Yes, yes, absolutely. I ha- I don't think I've been to an Expo. I think they were canceled um, this year. I didn't go. I think I, I don't know if I was even in the country, but um the previous ones had been canceled since yeah. I saw you at. Um, in terms of favorite products, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's there's so much innovation. There's constantly new things that are uh, really really great. Uh, I brought some of the Derma E products to Egypt, and people really like that because it's hard to find vegan, eco, non toxic skincare. So that was um, in Cairo. You can, but the area I'm in, not so much. And um, they really, well, I have to say they produce a lot of good products there. So I don't necessarily think I would be importing too many, but there's one product from there that I'd love to have here. Well, two products actually, which are, which um, one is Lara's. It's a mother and daughter women's collective fair trade in Egypt, all organic. Uh, and they have these, these date balls chocolate and different nut date balls that they have that are just amazing and I think would do really well here. I was going to talk to, I just ran out of time, but I'm going to talk to them about um, possibly distributing them here. So when I do Allura Wellness events here in Los Angeles, I can have those. And the other one is this date spread that is so light and fluffy. It's not like a heavy, thick date paste, but they flavor it with all natural and organic. And it has a cinnamon and a hazelnut and different flavors. And um, um, it's just amazing to have on apples or any kind of, you know, crisps or whatever kind of thing. So those are those are some products from there that I really, really liked. In terms of here, um, I'm always amazed with Ether Beauty. They do great, great um, cosmetics that are uh, zero waste, cruelty free, all vegan, and very, very healthy for the skin. So I'm a big, big uh, fan of theirs. There's a lot of BIPOC eco brands that I really like that um, have some amazing products. And I would just say, um, I, you know, I tend to eat whole food plant-based, so I don't buy any packaged food things. So I may sample them here and there, but I mainly just eat high raw and uh, just eat lots of fruits and vegetables and having a little bean. So, <laughs> I'm... so let's hear about the fruit festival that just happened. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Yesterday it was, uh, 
at the uh, MOA Wellness Center. So it's a Japanese wellness center that um, does energy healing and tea ceremonies and massage. And we brought in, I had a bunch of men who were all um, so different. That was what was really great. It was a small event, but they were all so different. We had one that does acai bowls where he's getting the acai. He is um, he is from Colombia and he has um, contacts with people in the Amazon where he's getting it very fair trade and helping regenerate the, um, the Amazon as he's getting these products because obviously we know the Amazon is really threatened this point and he does these incredible acai bowls which were so delicious that everybody was walking around with an acai bowl um we had some cold pressed juices we had uh, the farmer from the moa center because they have a farm in fresno who has all these biodynamic organic fruits that he brought all kinds of luscious stone fruits peaches and apricots and uh, so many just incredible things we had uh great um some wonderful jewelry all handmade we had some activist groups like la animal save and uh, the vegan vet our mighty and we also had a few other booths of, of amazing products. We had some fun surprises. We, we, we had speakers inside on the virtual program. We had uh, Dr. Morse and Dorit, who is the founder of this festival. She was running the live portion while I was running the, uh, the well, she was running the virtual program while I was running the live actual one um, or in-person one, I should say. And uh, so they had speakers all day and the energy healing and all that. And outside where we were, we had the booths and we had a guy who had run all the way from Miami. And I said, um, and where, where do you sleep at night? And he pointed to his waist and showed me a photo. This is my house. He has this belt that he wears where he has a hammock in it that he'll hang <laughs> up. And that's where he sleeps. And he's <laughs> run all the way from Miami. He plans to keep running throughout the world. He's from England. And so we had an improvised uh, an impromptu speech by him, which was incredible. And um, and then one of the vendors said, I do sound healing. Would you like a sound healing session? Yes. So towards <laughs> the end, we did sound healing. And then a guy who does fire dancing. So it was just like <laughs> all these wonderful gifts when you create community. All these people just come out and say, oh, I have this. How about that? You, would you be interested? Yes. Like, oh, my gosh. Wonderful. So it just became... We ended much later than intended, even though I had thought to myself at 10 a.m. with all oh, the chaos of it starting and Vanessa, Vanessa, question all over. I was like, is it seven o'clock yet? <laughs> oh my God, when is it gonna end? By the time we ended, it was past eight and we were on this high because there was just this wonderful community of fruit lovers who were just having a great time just being with each other and talking and sharing and different experiences. And I even met a few people including this guy, uh, Sebastian Sebcam is his Facebook thing. He and this other guy are going to be at the Woodstock Fruit Festival, which I'm going to in August. Yeah. <laughs> Woodstock is in Woodstock, New York? or Yeah, yeah. It's wow. at Camp Walden in New York. I've never been, never seen the actual Woodstock area. It's so mythical in my mind. Yeah. And so I'm really excited. And now I know some people there. Yeah, and the Woodstock concert actually happened in Bethel, New York, but that but the town of Woodstock is actually one of the few places that I probably uh, live if I didn't if I couldn't live here anymore. So it's, oh. it's a great little old little pocket of alternative wonderfulness. Oh, wow. Um, 
Why yeah. is it called Woodstock? Why did they call it Woodstock? If it you know, I don't know all the history, Judy. Do you know that? No history. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> I should know, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a catchier name, Woodstock. Just, yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's our fruity community. So actually, this weekend I had um, a talk that I gave to the uh, an Indonesian climate change conference that was happening that I did at 5:30 a.m. yesterday. So not a morning person, and then went to the fruit festival. Did that all day, and um, so it's been an action-packed weekend. And then I actually had a therapy client who has, uh, since being in treatment with me, has gone vegan. So totally on her own. So uh, it's been an action-packed, exciting weekend, and I'm really looking forward to. Um, just um, I might go check out the weekly vegan street fair just because it's hard to resist any oh, activity when I'm in town. I know it's my favorite <laughs> event. We Judy and I have talked about. It. We've been wanting to do a street festival here, mostly yeah. because I, I really miss the ones in California. Yeah. <laughs> if if I could if LA could be like a half an hour away, I would be such a happy. Kid. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you if if there's someone that you've mentored. To, to transition to veganism that has had healings of physical ailments or mental. Yeah, and a lot of times I think we probably never know yeah. how many people we've influenced or helped in that regard. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, exactly. And yeah. when I teach pole and, and yoga, I teach yoga as well. And yoga is, Ahimsa is basically about veganism, not harm to any beings. It doesn't say to any humans, it says to any beings. So that one is a natural. But uh, because I'm in that community a lot and I talk about that, and um, I think a lot of people there, both through the yoga and through the uh, uh, change in, in reducing or eliminating animal products, have had fewer back problems and knee problems and things like that. And I heard an amazing story. This has nothing to do with me. Just I met them. Um, <laughs> a, a gentleman has was diagnosed with MS in his early 20s, and it was very debilitating. And he couldn't walk, and he was looking at a wheelchair and all kinds of things. And he did some research and realized that going vegan would help and he went vegan and incorporated a lot of sea moss which i think is an amazing healing um plant and um looking at him telling this story you would never in a million years know that he suffered ever from anything because he's fit he's toned he's in great shape high energy and just to think this guy could not walk and was in a wheelchair um, maybe 10 years before that is just remarkable and he attributes it entirely to uh, removing animal products from his diet so that was really inspirational to hear that he's a vendor at the uh, the weekly street fair yeah. I'm looking to. I'm looking forward to the next wave of things for veganism. Is those stories of not only the health and wellness and physical health, but the mental health, which is such an issue right now. And sometimes vitamin B will help somebody, or vitamin D will help somebody, or you know, get the prescription pad out and write here. You know, have some fruits and vegetables. And sometimes just the simplest thing yeah. can really bring people back. Oh yeah. And if if we can listen to that and, and open our minds to that, yes. instead of looking for the next uh, pharmaceutical or 
right. You know, we're just always looking outside of ourselves and we're looking for something that will take care of it right away. And it's a process. Our bodies are a process. Our minds go through a process. And if we can nurture it along through food and, and good air and good water and good mindset, you know, we'll really be uh, a, a much better, I believe, better society. And I would love to see veganism. I mean, I can see you being a psychotherapist and having graduated Yale and having all this life experience of bringing that message out more. So maybe a TED talk or uh, yeah. <laughs> your I next radio interview. <laughs> yes, this is even better than TED. Uh, I would love uh -huh. that. But um, I think that because people have a hard time tolerating discomfort in general, because we code experiences as good or bad, and I want to avoid the bad and grasp onto the good and hold onto it longer, we're in this constant state of anxiety of either pulling towards us in desperation to keep or pushing away. And I think that makes it really hard to just be present and in the moment and just tolerate what's going on and notice it, whatever it is. And meditation has helped me a lot with that and not coding bad and good and that sort of thing. Um, so we wouldn't be so needing of instant fix if we had that mindset, we would see that it's a process and that we didn't get to the state if we're in a state of, of dis-ease. We didn't get to the state really quickly and we're not going to get out of it in a healthy way really quickly. And if we do the pharmaceutical route, we're going to just have you know, that those side effects are going to then be medicated by this one for those side effects and et cetera. When so many times the answer, it does lie in our food and environment and mindset. And that if we can really look to the healing properties of plants that satisfy so many of our modern ailments, then we wouldn't need to be resorting to things outside ourselves. We could have the pharmacy in our cupboards and in our fridges and not be looking to the experts and the gurus to do it, but have a healthy lifestyle that has a lot of fresh produce of many different colors and we wouldn't always be seeking for that other, the answer, the somebody else to heal me, some product, have it be quick, have it be somebody else that we could be more self-actualized if we really did that self-work, that self-esteem work, valuing ourselves, all of it going together. I think that we would be able to take care of ourselves in a much kinder and more nurturing way. And that would also extend outwards to how we treat other beings. Because if we're so kind and loving to ourselves, it becomes intolerable to want to hurt any other being. I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you are doing first of all, and thank you for being here. Oh, you, yeah. you have, you, you are building an amazing legacy. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You, you, I, I think you know, another name I'm going to call you is magnet. <laughs> you know, you're such a magnet, you know, you, 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 you hang out in all of these different modalities and just your joy and your passion and your talent and your skill in all of them that I've witnessed at least, um, plus being a friend and a good listener, uh, you know, it, it's wonderful that you you have these opportunities time and time again to get the message out in a way that's really palatable and believable and relevant. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. So thank you so much. 
And I'd love to visit you in Egypt at some point. Yes, oh my gosh, where I'm staying, the, the last place where I stayed was a three minute walk to the Red Sea to go swimming. Always pretty mild and beautiful. And I just would love to have you come visit. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, Chef Al can, can be at our yeah. market and do some great food. We'll yeah, yeah. Rock the whole town. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Road trip, well, so well trip, I guess. Absolutely, please, yes. And well, Judy, you are more than welcome as well to come. Yes, join in the fun. How fun! <laughs> well, thanks again, oh. and 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 uh, bon voyage again, and good travels, and stay in touch. I will. Thank you both so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Oh, is there a website or anything that if people did want to reach out? Um, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So Elora, unlike alluring, which it sounds like it's E-L-L-O-R-A named after the caves in India that welcomed in all travelers. The Buddhists who built it built, welcomed in everybody like family, which is kind of the motto of Elora Wellness. So E-L-L-O-R-A wellness.com. It's also the same on Facebook or Instagram. People can reach out and say hello. And if you want my recipe for my decadent yes. brownies, you can always reach out. Oh, That's I'm going awesome. there. Yeah, we're going there. We'll, we'll make them together, Judy. Yeah. That's fun. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both so much. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical dash conversations.